Hi, and welcome to Data in Depth, a podcast where we delve into advanced analytics, business intelligence, and machine learning, and how they're revolutionizing the manufacturing sector. Each episode, we share new ideas and best practices to help you put your business data to work. From the shop floor to the back office, from optimizing supply chains to customer experience, the factory of the future runs on data. Hi, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Data in Depth, the podcast exploring the world of big data and its role in the manufacturing industry. I'm your host, Andrew Reiser. Today, we are joined by Ben Chang. Ben is Vice President of Solutions and Partnerships at Parsable, a connected worker platform that helps industrial teams work smarter from the top floor to the shop floor. Ben has nearly two decades of experience ranging from sales and marketing to planning, supply chain optimization, business excellence, and IT, with a focus on big data, advanced analytics, and the internet of things. He thrives on spearheading global cross-functional collaboration to gather and evangelize data-driven insights, drive innovation within organizations, and optimize business processes. Welcome, Ben. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about your career and journey with big data. Fantastic. Uh, Thank you, Andrew. Let me just briefly give a little background about myself. I had both operational leadership roles as well as IT leadership roles in a Fortune 100 company. Um, the senior most operational role that I had was I owned all the planning within Asia Pacific in which we had multiple different manufacturing facilities. The most senior level IT role that I had, I reported directly to the CIO. And I controlled all of data for the organization, whether it be structured or unstructured, as well as advanced analytics. And I also had my own data science organization. Ben, that's awesome. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your transition to Parsable and, and where you see the, the future? Absolutely. So, you know, during my years in planning, I was always very frustrated with the way that the shop floor workers were being able to operate, right? Um, A lot of the investment was continually going into a lot of our office workers, but we were never really spending money on automating or helping out a lot of our knowledge workers, the guys that are actually doing the work and are responsible for throughput. We never really thought about how do we make their lives easier, right? So literally on the shop floor, when they're assembling these procedures, we would have two, a red book and a blue book that were three inches thick that they would have to fill out all the assembly information as well as the quality information. Now, when I came across Parsable, what made me super excited was this was technology that now we're trying to accentuate the shop floor with, right? If you really look at across the ecosystem of a lot of software companies, no one's really focused in that area. And that's what really made me excited about joining Parsable. Fantastic. So thanks for kind of setting the stage. And I think today what I'd like to dive deeper into is the factory of the future. So we hear the buzzwords of industrial internet, internet of things, and factory of the future. A lot of uh, Fortune 500 companies in the manufacturing space are investing heavily into this. And I'd like to, to hear from you where you see the future of this is going and how all this data coming off of robots or cobots, the smart machines, and and more importantly, where the empowered worker fits in as a part of this factory of the future. Absolutely. Um, I think the factory of the future is extremely exciting, right? Um, You think about like all the different industrial revolutions, each generation just makes it more exciting tech. But if you even fast forward all the way down to a complete lights out factory, right, in which there's virtually no humans uh, whatsoever, Right. But it's continually improving, you know, producing uh, different materials, et cetera. But what you actually find very interesting about that entire scenario, it increases the value of the human even more. 
because in the inopportune time that the factory goes down, then the human has to be involved and you can only imagine the level of automation and the line speeds that are that and how many units are getting produced. And it only puts even more relevance on the human to fix it correctly the first time. Absolutely. I, I think this is a, a topic that continues to kind of present itself in the, the news as people talk about the workers of the future and their involvement in these factories of the future where technology and automation is, is at the forefront. But ultimately, I think what we're talking about is that this technology doesn't replace these workers per se. It's more empowering them to, to do different aspects of their job that they were previously asked to do. So more manual aspects that robots and machines are capable of doing. That's not what we see the, the workers of the future. They need to understand the data and all these streams of, of how the, the shop floor is optimized and, and make those decisions to ensure that the uptimes and changeovers and things that you just described are, are in full effect. Absolutely, right? And you know, kind of when we talk about also the factory of the future, and I'm constantly reading all these studies, right? and really start unpacking a lot of this digital transformation. It's really then, how do you take a very pragmatic approach to Industry 4.0 to secure a very quick return on investment? And so when we're thinking about like IoT and sensors, it takes a longer time in order to predict downtime versus think about like, how do you then optimize human procedures in order to increase uptime. You know, that, that seems a more simpler approach to that overall philosophy. Exactly. Uh, I think that's a, a good way of thinking about it and a good segue to, to really dive deeper on the ROI and business value that you just alluded to. So maybe you can dive a little bit deeper there. And when you look at organizations and kind of where to start, maybe help talk us through where some of that low hanging fruit is and, and how to generate that ROI and, and, and process savings and time savings. Yeah, so, so I think and to throw out new buzzwords, right, um, you know, there's a concept uh, called O-Data and X-Data, right? That's traditionally your ERP data, your IoT data. Basically, it tells you what happened, but however, not the why or the how did it happen. And what we see as O-Data is just basically being table stakes, right? It's your, your ticket to entry into this overall game. What makes it really exciting is now this X-Data, right, which is more experience-based data. So let me, let me kind of unpack that a little bit more around experience data. You know, there's current approaches to experience data. We're only scratching really the surface, right? Uh, Qualtrics, which is the closest one at capturing experience data, is really only focused around kind of like user experience, mostly on websites, on CRM, and the tactic that they're using is survey data. And it's really just about being sales focused. What I really like to start seeing is us capturing X data 2.0, right? Which is really uncharted territory on the shop floor. So we wanted to take it the next level down regarding experience data, not just from the sales perspective, but really down to the workers on our shop floor. So I think we all agree that we understand operational data and kind of the data streams and, and siloed systems of, of the past, like ERP and where that fits in. And you kind of alluded to where people are just scratching the surface on experiential data, but maybe you can kind of describe that a little bit more. So, so tell me what you're seeing with these factory workers, because it seems like there's a, a changing of the old guard to the new guard uh, that's going on right now through natural attrition in this space. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so what I'm referring to are really capturing knowledge from all your workers, whether they be in the factory 
or whether they be out in the field and uh, servicing your different type of equipment. So maybe pull on that string a little bit more. And so you describe things as kind of the, the, the tactical personal knowledge that uh, a person has, but then there's also the overarching kind of explicit company knowledge and the, and the best practices around that. So can you maybe describe how you view those and, and how those kind of come together in today's world? Yeah, so I think um, you definitely um, started hitting on a vein that resonates across our customer base, right? It's the, So the first off, the tacit personal knowledge is really kind of like the experiences, really the gray beard. He's, he's able then to touch a machine um, and just from the vibration from the machine, he's able to diagnose the problem as well as repair it. So that's fantastic for your shop floor, but it's not scalable, right? So when sure. this guy retires, how do you then capture that data and recycle it back to the new generation of workers that are coming in? Okay, so that's the first part. And then you had touched upon the, the company knowledge, um, what we always call the best practices. You know, the best practice assembly procedure, for example. Now, the unfortunate thing is that the last mile to the factory worker, to the knowledge worker, is not digitized. Right. So then how do you begin digitizing that last mile in order for us to begin executing different process improvements, even on the best practice? Right. So that's kind of where we're starting to get focused on uh, today. That makes sense. So maybe you can walk me through an example of that. One example that, that we see quite frequently is that a lot of the, the customers that we're talking with, have not even completed something as, as basic as a, a time study at a, a work cell or a work center on the shop floor. So can you maybe start there with something as basic as that of just understanding uh, the amount of energy and time and, and process that is involved at a particular work center and then evolve that into to where that matures along this path? Yeah. So, I mean, it, yeah, and that's, that's a great question, right? So if you even think about like a time study, right, like it, a, an overall assembly procedure, Right. The traditional approach is you set up your little GoPro camera as well as a stopwatch and then you start filming all the individual steps that are required in order for us to do that assembly procedure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now just replicate that. It could be assembly procedure, it could be a changeover procedure, it could be a maintenance procedure. Now some of the issues with that, you know, of course, is is then it's very episodic. Okay, it's a one-off type of understanding. Um, and not necessarily what happens every single day. So basically, you know, the next steps is then from there you put it into a spreadsheet and then you manually begin updating different steps based upon their different step times. And then you determine that's the best practice and then you, you distribute it out to the overall organization. Having no idea if people are ever following that process or if you're ever achieving that return on investment. The way that you just described that, I, I had a, a smile on my face because I, I feel like this applies elsewhere within the organizations too, to where as you start identifying what we call kind of the, the happy case business process that you live in a perfect world and if everything ran in a sequential order that this is the perfect scenario. But obviously at, at any step in the, the way there's, there's room for change or disruption or outside factors that trip that up. But I think the bottom line that we're talking about here is at some point you just have to create a baseline and continuously improve and build off of that baseline. Is that right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. Um, and then the next question is then how do you build an organization and a culture around continuous improvement? Right. Um, exactly. How do you ingrain it and empower every single um, knowledge worker on the shop floor to, you know, extract those best practices 
you know, I think I, I think that's the most pragmatic next wave of return on investment, especially for factory of the future. Yeah. So when I think about um, kind of what you just described, and my mind immediately goes to like this futuristic uh, factory or shop floor, where I think a, a lot of organizations are starting to evolve to this. But I I imagine like an infographic in my mind of you've got your operational data, so streams of data that are they're coming out of the, the transactional systems that are in place, like you had mentioned, your ERP system. You've got these new cobots or uh, collaborative robots that are working alongside of uh, the workers. You've also got your existing kind of shop floor personnel that are, are possibly manning some of these machines or just ensuring that the flow of the, the factory is working. So I just envision streams of data going everywhere. And I imagine these knowledge workers with like their barcoding guns or tablets or, or iPads. And, and, and so when we talk about experiential data, is, is that what you mean? So kind of empowering uh, that person on the floor to to make sense of all this data that's coming at them so that they can make smarter decisions and be more agile. Right. No, absolutely. You know, and, and going back to your question about the different data streams, right. Um, you know, and, and the importance of having this experience data married in with your different operational data, whether it be ERP, which is your event driven data, um, as well as your IOT, which is your streaming sensor data, right. Um, I think then you're then closed looping that entire cycle, if you will, right? And it's not just about then correlating those two different data sets. It's now correlating the three different data sets on what happened, why did it happen, and how did it happen? And then from there, what did we do to fix it um, in order to really start understanding and compressing that overall cycle? That makes sense. So do you have uh, an example you can maybe walk us through of how to kind of take these different angles and, and data streams that you're talking about and maybe put that into a, a real world example that, that you guys are seeing today? Yeah. So, you know, the importance of digitizing first the experiential data, right? I can see definitely some machine learning being overlaid um, on top of this. So think about a maintenance procedure. Um, think about machine learning in which you're taking the exact same maintenance procedure and from there it automatically begins optimizing that procedure for best practices and deploying that uh, globally, right? So I'm thinking about like a lot of automation and continuous improvement, right? From then I kind of broaden out and I look at the entire value chain, right? And if you think about, you know, the factory floor of the future, you have not only production orders, but then you have maintenance plans and maintenance orders. Um, by capturing both the production as well as the maintenance, then I can start seeing machine learning being built upon both the assembly procedures as well as the maintenance procedures. So it's now taking that optimization um, away from like a traditional ERP and now almost making it a continuous optimization of the shop floor, right? In which uh, inadvertently the maintenance plan can get sectioned in, in line with the production order in order to perform all these different actions um, while also taking in supply chain late deliveries or even quality notifications and completely optimizing and re-optimizing uh, the production, the shop floor flow. So imagine that you're a maintenance worker and you're going out to repair this machine, right? So now you're stepping through the different maintenance procedure. Instead of a traditional approach in which I'm the maintenance worker, and I complete that procedure and I go back to my maintenance order system and I get my next maintenance procedure. Imagine a world in which this maintenance worker can do multiple different functions, 
including operations. So instead of him actually going and completing that, after completing that maintenance order, he now gets an operation in which he goes and then begins interacting with a different machine to produce additional throughput. So as we, we think through the, the factory of the future, and we've kind of touched on this throughout our conversation, but let's, let's bring it back to the collaborative robots, because I know that's a, a hot topic now and kind of where the robot and the, the worker blend together to kind of fit in in these operational processes. So can you kind of expand a little bit more about how that is being viewed by, by you all and what you're seeing with these organizations that are, are looking to bring automation, but also realize that they need the, the worker to, to be a part of that and kind of work in harmony with these cobots? Yeah, so we definitely see cobots coming into play and enhancing um, the overall human activity. Now, what's um, extremely interesting for us is that the cobots now present a different data stream, right? So if you start really unpacking all the different data streams now that an organization could have, you have your traditional ERP data, right? You have now your IoT data. You also have your cobot stream, then you have your human work process or your experience data also as, again, time series data, right? Which then enables you to take that optimization, not just from a procedure level to optimize the overall complete business process from beginning to end to end, right? So, so imagine, if you will, a human is, is basically sitting there doing his work procedure. Basically, when he even completes his next step, dynamically the next steps all change based upon an optimization of the shop floor. And just think about that in a very discrete type of example and think about the massive improvements that it could do for your overall factory uh, to produce additional throughput. Yeah, I think that's a great way of looking at it, Ben. And I think that the factory of the future is definitely promising. And one of the things that we often overlook is the, the human element and, and how that plays into to any of these initiatives, whether it be a digital transformation or the experiential data that you, you've been talking about throughout this podcast. So Ben, it's been a, a pleasure talking with you. And any final words or, or last thoughts that you have um, on experiential data and the, the factory of the future? Again, I, I thank you for this opportunity for being able to speak. You know, again, I think, you know, just the experience data is a very pragmatic approach, a very different toe in the pool in order to be able to start experiencing that factory of the future and be able to generate um, immediate insights and return on investment. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today. And for those listening, if you'd like to learn more about Parsable, I'd encourage you to visit their website at parsable.com. That's P A R. S-A-B-L-E.com. And we'll also provide this information to Parsable as well as Ben's profile and relevant resources and notes for this episode on our show notes page. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate it and subscribe to the Data In-Depth podcast available wherever you consume your podcast through iTunes, Google, Spotify, and pretty much everywhere else. Thanks again for joining us. And Ben, thanks for, for participating. Thank you. Data in Depth is produced by Mountain Point, a digital transformation consulting firm focusing on the manufacturing sector. You can find show notes, additional episodes, and more by visiting dataindepth.com. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.